This is Show Me Today, the voice of Missouri. I'm Bill Pollack. We are dancing in the NCAA tournament. Not only the Missouri Tigers, but the SEMO Redhawks from Cape, winners of the Ohio Valley. Over 38,000 people watched the St. Louis Battlehawks. That is the largest crowd ever, not just for an XFL game, but for any professional spring football league game in our history. Congratulations to the Battlehawks and St. Louis fans. The Missouri legislature is on spring break. Not much happened in the first half of the session, but Elisa Nelson and Marshall Griffin will be here later to tell us things are about to get hectic. Missourians all over the state are taking an interest in wine. The state has over 130 wineries. Joining Cameron Connor and myself right now is Dean Volenberg from the University of Missouri Grape and Wine Institute and specialist Stefan Sommer. Dean, where did this winemaking interest start here in Missouri? I guess I'll begin. So what's really unique is, and it's not just here in Missouri, but it's throughout the United States. What we've seen uh, from the COVID pandemic is a lot of people decided to change their lifestyles. And so part of that was really getting the grape and wine industry. So some of those people are becoming uh, grape growers and eventually probably winery owners and opening up. And we've seen this explode uh, throughout the state. I, Stefan, training these people in a beginner grape school and winemaking classes uh, that helped them along. Uh, so that's basically what uh, started this impetus to really get moving in the industry with the pandemic. Stefan, do you, do you have anything that you'd like to add to that? It is essentially uh, connected to a shift in what people are trying to do with their lives. And I think wine still has that romantic um, flair to it. And a lot of people think that, yeah, it's a it's a worthwhile industry to be in because it wine is a, is a cultural good and it's it's always connected to something. One of the ways that I'd mm-hmm. like to really step into the next follow up question with that is, well, if there's going to be a lot of people that want to start investing in winemaking or in grape growing here in Missouri, the state has to be able to withstand that. It has to be a good climate in order for that to actually exist, in order for that to happen. So what actually makes Missouri a good wine production state, a good grape production state? We're still located what I consider in a continental climate, and we're in an environment where the business uh, atmosphere is really good. So we have what I would call lower taxes compared to any other Midwestern state. So the business aspect. And we have a Missouri Department of Agriculture that's always been uh, championing the grape and wine industry here in Missouri. So uh, there's programs, there's licenses uh, for winemaking that are, and plus uh, previously, well, uh, we did have some uh, tax incentives that help the industry. Uh, Some of those incentives have gone away, but the industry is always looking for a way to bring those back. Another aspect that's also very important is the um, the tourist industry in Missouri is is really strong. Wine is a is a very important factor in in tourism, and there are multiple tourist destinations within the state of Missouri that we can see a collaboration between local businesses and and local wineries, and it it all ties together very nicely. And I think that's an advantage that Missouri has over over other Midwestern states as well. You're listening to Show Me Today, the voice of Missouri. I'm Cameron Connor. We're here with two professionals from the Missouri Grape and Wine Institute to discuss the booming industry that is Missouri wine, also wrap up a symposium and conference that happened in early March, and really just to discuss what makes a good Missouri wine. We're here with Verticulture and Winery Operations Specialist Dean Vollenberg and also Assistant Professor and State Extension Specialist for Enology, Stefan Sommer. One of the reasons that we're gathering here today is because there was just a wine, it was a wine conference and symposium that the Missouri Grape and Wine Institute just just held to basically recap a lot of these things. Can you describe what that event was like for anyone that wasn't there? Yeah, so it's, I believe this was the eighth year, and it's really unique in compared to a lot of other states that have any grape and wine conferences, especially on the symposium aspect. Uh, where we get students that are here from MU, the University of Missouri, also students from uh, Missouri State University, St. Louis University, and sometimes even other universities in the state of Missouri. And those students are all actually doing work and research on aspects of either growing grapes or actually making wine from a large student body of people doing research that come in on the first day of the conference and tell people in the industry what they're doing. And that's exciting, not only for the students, but also for the industry. They get to see some of these students who are producing information that's going to help them in the future, but also potentially those people might become employees or maybe even open up their own winery and grow grapes themselves. 
the program is designed to fit all these different needs and all these different audiences. And I think that's that's a really um, really appealing concept to uh, to Missouri residents, not not just those who are already in the industry, but but those who are just generally interested in learning more about uh, the grape and wine industry in the state. So it's a it's a three day conference um, with different focus points every every day, but it addresses the whole range of of people by bringing in a, a wide variety of from the field. There right. are the big names in the game. You know, there's like St. James. And if you're around mid-Missouri area, you're familiar with ones like Le Bourgeois and things of that nature. What about are there some more some local ones that you'd like to highlight there that you would recommend that Missourians try out like a little sneak peek? of something that maybe Missourians haven't heard of that you think would be a good one. So Cameron, I'll give you my canned response. What I say to everybody is the fact that, you know, everybody wants asks us, you know, what, what wine do you appreciate from Missouri? Which one do you like? And I always tell them the same thing since I work for the industry, I can't really give you any tips or ideas, but I go, I can tell you what bottle of wine I like from Missouri. And they always go, well, what is it? What is it? I go, the second bottle. (laughs) (laughs) There are roughly 130 wineries, 450 grape growers. And actually, uh, you can get from the marketing department or even go to the website and see maps of all the wineries that are here in Missouri that are close to mid-Missouri or even out far away from Missouri. Is there maybe a type of wine that is maybe just specifically from last year or that's coming on the scene this year that's really popular that Missouri's trying to make a push for that's from a certain grape that's creating a certain wine? You know, Missouri is well known throughout the Midwest and probably even onto the coast for two different wines. And one is the Norton grape, which is a state grape of Missouri. So that's a red wine. And also for very well known for a white grape variety called cultivar called Vignoles that makes a white wine. Uh, but we also have uh, other cultivars such as Chardonnay we grow here that makes a nice uh, dry white wine. Uh, we also have Chamberson, um, which is the red grape. And what you should know about Chamberson is it's won the Governor's Cup wine competition for the last um, three years straight. Uh, so there's quite a quite a variety in, of wines here. Um, everything that goes the whole gamut and Stefan could talk more about this from uh, the sweet to the very dry wines. 2022 was an exceptional vintage. Um, there are a lot of great wines out there uh, that were made last year. We, we had a really, a really good growing season, um, especially for the for the earlier varieties. It was was a little cold too early, um, so the later ones suffered a little bit. But there were a lot of great wines made last year. Um, so I, I think with the 2022, you can't go wrong. Uh, a lot of a lot of wines that um, are made from relatively unknown grape cultivars uh, when you when you're thinking about a traditional wine consumer you're looking for cabernet sauvignon you're looking for chardonnay you don't really find those wines in missouri you find interspecific cultivars that are adapted to the growing conditions in the state but those have other names so it is it is always a conversation we're having with with consumers is when they're looking for the traditional european wine grape but you find cultivars that are um, of really high quality and make exceptional wines um, in, in that specific climate around. So I wish you both luck going forward and please feel free if there's any new developments or anything else you want to share in the future, please hop back on the show and we would love to have you both. But Dean, Stefan, thank you so much for joining me on Show Me Today, the Bruce Missouri. I've been driving trucks for a long time. Safety is my number one priority. I know that my truck has huge blind spots. That's why I remember to check my mirrors often for smaller vehicles. Everyone can help keep our roads safe. Next time you're behind the wheel, try to avoid lingering in those blind spots. It can be dangerous. Let's all plan to share the road safely. Learn how at www.sharetheroadsafely.gov. The first three years of every child's life are critical. Learn more about early intervention. How your baby or toddler plays, learns, talks, acts, and moves give important clues as to how they are developing. If you have any questions or concerns about whether your baby or toddler's development is on track, please call 1-800-515-BABY. That's 1-800-515-2229. Call 1-800-515-BABY. That's 1-800-515-2229. Mom and Dad used to argue about everything, especially about Dad's drinking. My family went from totally crazy to quiet, calm, and even peaceful when mom started going to Al-Anon family groups. 
I wanted a better relationship with Dad, so I asked Mom if she would take me to her Al-Anon meetings or to Alateen. I'm sure glad I did. If someone's drinking troubling you, you might be surprised at what you can learn in an Al-Anon or Alateen family group from people just like you. Call 1-888-4-AL-ANON or go to alanon.org. Do you worry about how much someone drinks? Do you feel angry or depressed most of the time? Do you feel neglected or unloved? Do you feel that if the drinker loved you, she or he would stop drinking? If you answered yes to any of these questions, you are not alone. Not everyone trapped by alcohol is an alcoholic. Families and friends are suffering too. Al-Anon and Alateen can help. Call 1-866-200-0223 or visit alanon.org slash help. Do you worry about how much someone drinks? Do you feel angry or depressed most of the time? Do you feel neglected or unloved? Do you feel that if the drinker loved you, she or he would stop drinking? If you answered yes to any of these questions, you are not alone. Not everyone trapped by alcohol is an alcoholic. Families and friends are suffering too. Al-Anon and Alateen can help. Call 1-866-200-0223 or visit alanon.org slash help. The United States Deputy Sheriff's Association is a national nonprofit and the largest non-governmental provider of services to law enforcement. The USDSA assists city, county, state, and federal agencies with free safety equipment donations and officer survival training along with cash donations to families of law enforcement officers who perish in the line of duty, college scholarships for the children of law enforcement, a citizen awareness program, and more. For more information on the USDSA and how you can help, visit usdeputy.org. We return to Show Me Today. We're just about halfway through our program. Um, might be a good time to talk about the Missouri legislature. They're at their halfway point. Spring break adjourned until the 20th. And to talk about what's been accomplished, what's on the horizon, and what's drawing the biggest interest, Elisa Nelson and Marshall Griffin join me. Uh, uh, welcome to both of you. Uh, Lisa, what has the legislature accomplished so far this session? Well, uh, the one bill that's gotten across the finish line thus far is a budget bill to spend extra money this current state budget year. And I think the highlight of that budget is the state worker pay increase that it includes. That's, um, I believe, the only bill that has um, gotten to the finish line at this point. Now, there are several bills at the halfway point. So um, a school open enrollment bill has passed out of the House, so it's now the Senate's turn to take a look at it. There's one that is a priority for Republicans this year uh, that would expand Medicaid benefits. And I would say for Democrats as well, by the way. Um, but the bill would expand Medicaid benefits to one year for low-income pregnant women post-pregnancy. And there's also a bill um, that would give tax credits to attract companies who film at least uh, 50 percent of uh, their movie in Missouri. So film tax credits. And then also another one um, would prevent the immediate loss of government benefits like food stamps uh, for participants who say they are mulling over a pay raise or a job promotion. It would instead reduce those benefits proportionate to any income increases. And the other part that I think is significant is that it would allow um, people who apply for these benefits uh, to apply through a one-page application instead of like the 60-plus page application that we currently have. And uh, one other bill would allow car dealers to collect sales tax on vehicles before the car leaves the, the lot. So those are some of the things that uh, lawmakers will be working on when they return. Is it pretty typical during a legislative session to kind of get to this point and not much has been passed? It's very warm. Yeah. Yes. Go ahead. Go yeah. ahead, Elisa. Uh, yeah, I think so. I mean, it's because they're working so hard on the budget, really, that the budget passing a balanced budget is the Missouri legislature's one constitutional duty. And so there's a huge focus on that throughout the session, not only for the current year, but then for the next budget year. So that's where a lot of their time is spent. 
um, throughout the first half of this session and even further, really even further than that, really almost into May. And then it's kind of a mad dash, if you will, <laughs> to get some of the other stuff done. I mean, they're working on, you know, other bills while they're working on the budget as well. But I mean, um, you know, it's it's stuff that they're continually working on. That's Elisa Nelson. We're talking about uh, spring break for the Missouri legislature. And you also heard Marshall Griffin. Marshall, bring you in. Um, social issues uh, have been uh, a big attention grabber here. The LGBTQIA2S plus uh, in particular bills that would bar transgender athletes from competing in girls and women's sports, uh, bar school personnel from discussing gender identity and sexual orientation with public school students. Uh, it's been popping up around the country and, and here in our state. What's what's driving this? I think in part what's driving it is seeing the success of the don't say gay bill in Florida. They had been pushing that their legislature had been pushing that for a few years and they finally got that signed into law last year. And someone in Missouri or uh, groups of people in Missouri said, well, we can do one better. The uh, now the the Florida law basically says that uh, basically bans curriculum up through the from kindergarten through the third grade that uh, you could not teach, you know, sub teach sexually oriented or gender identity subject matter up through the third grade. Uh, Missouri's uh, proposed law would go even further, basically saying that no teacher, no principal, no school personnel of any type can discuss gender identity or sexual orientation with any public school student, uh, kid, kindergarten through high school. And uh, that's that has uh, really drawn the battle lines, uh, especially in the Senate, where, you know, there are more avenues to stop bills than there are in the House. And that's it's, it's basically culture war uh, is dominating a good bit of what's happening in the legislature this year. Do you see it being solved, something being passed or is there a lot of something, divide on this? Something will be passed. <clears throat> something will get I, I'm I would be shocked if something did not get passed. And if it doesn't, it'll only be because time runs out and they got sidetracked by something else. This is a high priority for Republicans. And it's not so much that they're against sexual um, teaching of you know sexual issues in school. But what's driving the argument on the Republican side is that they're convinced that um, certain teachers and administrators are pushing the LGBT um, agenda, basically trying to recruit uh, kids to be um, gay or be bisexual or to be transgender. Uh, they believe that uh, they're that they're doing things to encourage kids to believe that they're that way. And that's what's driving a lot of the uh, driving a lot of the uh, the Republican push in the legislature. And the Democrats are pushing back, saying, no, that's not the case. If a child is this, then a child is this. You know, that the teachers do not and school administrators don't all they do is listen and talk. They don't try to convert kids. But the Republicans are pushing that argument, saying that, uh, yes, some of them are, and we have to stop it. Marshall Griffin and Elisa Nelson, uh, legislative session at the halfway point, spring break for them. They return on the, the 20th. Um, Marshall and Elisa, I, I got a couple more things for you. But, Marshall, I want to find out about uh, this legalized sports betting. It's something that we've talked about here on the show. Uh, the states around us are passing bills. Uh, we seem to be kind of late on this. I, I know there's a lot of different things that are being thrown out there. Where are we at with uh, legalized sports betting, and do you see it uh, crossing the finish line? I'm, I'm less confident about um, this crossing the finish line. It got very close last year, but uh, there's there are two the two obstacles and roadblocks. So one is uh, this Senator Denny Hoskins' insistence that sports betting be paired with the legalization of video lottery terminals. And, and his argument for that is that is that sports betting in and of itself, the, the amount of tax revenue that would be charged in order to, um, you know, from sports bets that are made, Hoskins argues that that is not going to be enough to, you know, financially justify sports betting in by itself, that it has to be paired with something else. And uh, he is insisting that video lottery go along with that. I just want to throw in that I've been hearing rumblings that um, a ballot measure could be on the way um, if 
the Missouri legislature does not pass a sports betting bill this year. So there is some pressure, I think, this year to get it done, because if not, it might make it to um, a vote of the people. Uh, House Democratic leader Crystal Quaid, I had asked her about this, and uh, she had said that polling that she has done and there has been polling done about how important legalizing sports betting is. And, and she doesn't think um, the at least the polling shows that it's not something that people care that much about. So I was kind of surprised about that. Oh, that's crazy. That's absolutely crazy. <laughs> that's crazy talk. We, Our state is missing out on so much. So much. It's crazy. Here's what needs to happen. Uh, they get this thing passed real quick if the Kansas City Chiefs say, we're going to build a new stadium, but we're building it in Kansas so that we can attach mm-hmm. some, some sports. And then watch how fast that thing would pass. Mm-hmm. That, yeah. that, could be, uh, that, that could be the thing that tips it. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Very much so. Yeah. All right, uh, Elisa, any, uh, any other drama? I, you know, I know at the beginning of the session, uh, some women were, were fighting about uh, types of clothes they were wearing. Did they ever get that settled? Uh, what, what else is going on? There always seems to be something that uh, it's like a, like a soap opera over there sometimes. <laughs> yeah, I mean, each session has drama. Um, well, it's been actually pretty calm this year. Um, now, before leaving break, the Senate adjourned a day early after failing to find a compromise on a bill that uh, dealt with banning gender transitions for kids. And this ticked off some further right-leaning conservative members made up of the former Senate Conservative Caucus. So has this resurrected the Conservative Caucus? I I think it quite possibly could. I think we'll see after the Senate returns from spring break what happens. It could be a livelier second half. Marshall Griffin and Elisa Nelson covering the legislature at the Capitol. Marshall, I have to ask you this. Uh, is the meatloaf really as good as Elisa tweets about? I mean, she tweets about it every, what is it, Tuesday? Is it Meatloaf Tuesday, or when is it? No, it's Meatloaf Monday. Oh, Meatloaf, well, that, that makes sense. <laughs> and I must confess, I have not yet had a chance to check out the Capital Meatloaf. So <laughs> You're missing out, guys. I'll make sure that you get some. Right, I usually try. get enough for the whole week. <laughs> I mean, you love it the way you tweet about it. You, you brag it up pretty good, so... I'd do anything for legislative coverage, but I won't do that. Oh. (laughs) Oh, Marshall, great way to end. All right. Uh, Lisa Nelson and Marshall Griffin, thank you for uh, catching us up. Great to talk with you. Thank Thank you. you. This is Show Me Today, the voice of Missouri. Meet Ed, movie buff, animal lover, safe driver. Five years of driving an ambulance teaches you a thing or two. If people knew what I know, lives could be saved. When I see a car trying to rush past the turning bus, I get concerned. You see, when big vehicles turn right, they have to swing wide to make the turn. And that's a lesson you don't want to learn the hard way. When trucks and buses turn, let's you and I wait. It's It's our our roads. It's It's our our safety. safety. Visit www.sharetheroadsafely.gov. If you're talking, they will hear you. Why are we getting killed like this? Kyle's not here. Got caught drinking during the park a couple of nights ago. Really? Yeah. Zero tolerance. He's out for the season. Harsh. Hey, he knew not to drink. We've made that clear to all of our kids, right? Uh, no, not really. Bill, if we don't tell them what we expect and why they shouldn't drink, how are they going to know? Talk. They hear you. For more information, visit underagedrinking.samsa.gov. You try. All the talks we've had over the years, including what you've told me about not using alcohol and other drugs, they stick with me. And believe it or not, they really do make a difference, especially at times that matter most. Hey, want a drink? No thanks, I'm good. So thank you, Dad, for talking and preparing me for what's ahead. Thank you for talking. For more information about talking with your kids about underage use of alcohol and other drugs, visit underagedrinking.samsa.gov. Hi, it's Tori DeVito. In every family, small conversations can make a big impact. Like when my dad shared his experiences as an alcoholic. Your honesty about that part of your life gave me a sense of integrity that I wanted to uphold in my own life. I wanted you to know from someone who's been in recovery more than 30 years now that hard work is what creates success, not alcohol or other drugs. I said it a lot, and I'm glad you took it to heart. Talk. They hear you. For more information, visit underagedrinking.samsa.gov. 
When it comes to vaping, the truth can get clouded. So let's make it clear. Vaping is not safe for kids, teens, or young adults. It's just not. Because vaping can put microscopic particles into your lungs. And dangerous things like metals and volatile organic compounds into your body. And nicotine, the same highly addictive substance found in regular cigarettes. Nicotine can harm a person's brain development through their mid-20s. Affecting learning, memory, attention, and impulse control. And priming the brain for other addictions. Vaping products also come in kid-friendly flavors that can make them appealing to youth. And many kids also use other drugs, like marijuana, in vaping devices. With appealing flavors, high nicotine levels, and lots of promotion on social media. Many kids think vaping is harmless, but it's not. So talk to your kids about the risks of vaping. Because when you talk, they hear you. For more information, visit underagedrinking.samsa.gov. Email from school about the incident today. Scary. Tell me about it. Did you have any idea that was going on? None. I mean, you saw Derek at the game last night, too. Did you have a clue? No, but you know, teachers like me, parents, we don't always know as much as you guys do. Kids hear first about what's going on with other kids. Half the time, it's rumors. It can be hard to tell sometimes, but if you have a concern about a friend who's having trouble with alcohol, prescription drugs, bullying, violence, anything, you need to tell an adult. Mom or me, a teacher, coach, school counselor, someone you know and trust. Dad, no kid is going to tell an adult about that kind of stuff. I get it, but if we don't know, we can't help. Speaking up about a problem, that's what helping a friend is all about. For more information, visit underagedrinking.samsa.gov. We're back on Show Me Today, the Rust Belt, the industrial back of the United States, right here in our backyard. Places like St. Louis and Kansas City. Uh, places and industries that at one time grouped together to help the United States win World War II. But in the name of progress and the launch of the atomic bomb, it came at a cost. Republican Representative Tricia Burns explains to Anthony Morbeth. What we're talking about is the amount of waste that was dumped all over St. Louis County. Um, you also had the production plant that was in St. Louis City. And what people aren't talking about is the atomic production plant, so the nuclear processing that took place a thousand feet from an operating high school. And it takes people a second to realize that. That high school did not build next to a nuclear processing plant or um, a uranium processing plant. They built, the federal government built that next to an operating high school. So not only did you have production there, while kids were present, for 20 years, they left that completely abandoned and were fully negligent in the way that was handled. However, if you would go out and go to their um, interpretive center, it's, if I would, it's just a big pat on their back on what a great job that they've done in the community to make it a flower, a flower preserve. They got a big rock pile. Um, they've turned it into a tourist attraction. But nowhere in that history do they talk about the kids that got into that quarry and the contents of that quarry are in that containment cell. There's even stories of kids that played in the factory and definitely in the 70s, 80s, and 90s. People called it various things from the aquadome, 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 but it was the water treatment facility for that processing of that uranium that was all considered radioactive and that's all in that containment cell. Not only that, you have a witch's brew because before that, it was a TNT and DNT plant. And you have the quarry, which not only had all of those contaminants and the contaminants when they um, took down the St. Louis plant, but they also took in uh, products, radioactive and um, toxic chemicals from other areas in the country. So all of this is currently under this rock pile or containment cell, and the high school is still there. I have no reason to create any fear for the people that are currently there. So what I tell people is we can talk about what it is, but we have to talk about what it isn't. So it isn't, as far as I know, it should be cleaned up for the high school kids. The proximity is a concern, but they say they have controls. Um, it isn't about nuclear energy, and it's not about nuclear medicine. This is atomic bomb 
uh, weapons facilities, you know, these production type facilities that were in the community before cleanup and the fact that nobody has took accountability for any of the injuries across these locations throughout St. Louis and St. Charles. It's worth mentioning that uh, there's kind of like what I would sort of call uh, a give-and-take relationship. And I want to add this to the conversation because I think that this is a lot of what has been brought up over the years. And correct me if I'm wrong, you, you have one side of the argument of, yeah, but this was necessary to help the United States win World War II. But what I'm also noticing on the flip side of that is not just Missouri. I'm seeing this pop up and I'm seeing this happen all across the uh, Rust Belt, all across varying parts of the United States, predominantly industrial parts of the U.S. with an industrial past who helped with the so-called Manhattan Project, and now it's 2023 at the time of this recording, and we're now seeing some of this start to pop up 60, 70, 80 years after the production of some of this stuff started happening, which I think is interesting because uh, this this plays into exactly what you were talking about and how this is impacting still the local region and the area of St. Louis. Right. So what people don't don't probably know is in Missouri, there's it's called the um, the EEOICPA. And for short, it's basically the atomic bomb workers legislation. So that legislation came into effect about 2000, 2001. And in the state of Missouri alone, for those that worked in these production facilities, they have a, a paid out. $284 million. So that means they have 23 years worth of data. However, if residents come to them, except Coldwater Creek, they have government documentation. But if other residents say, hey, listen, I have, I have brain cancer or a family member had brain cancer under the age of 45, I mean, what an anomaly, right? And they'll say, well, why would you think that that's at all related? But meanwhile, for instance, there's been payout just in the Weldon plant that was next to Hall. They paid out more than $45 million just for those workers. And I'm not talking about only production. They have injury from the cleanup. So those 90 cleanup workers have the same injuries that we're seeing at Hall, but the people that went to Hall during that same time frame are completely ignored and made to feel like there is no reason they should suspect it has anything to do. And what's really crazy when you even think about the Coldwater Creek, some of these cancers that they're seeing, that the government admits there's a high likelihood that it's because of the Coldwater Creek, some of these are automatic payouts if you work for 250 days plus in downtown St. Louis plant. So it's just crazy to me that these workers or their, those that um, maybe even down to their grandchildren, they can prove causation as long as there's 250 days. But here you have flooding into people's basements, into their pe- people's homes, and they've lived with the same product, and there's no accountability. And that's what I'm asking the state to do. I'm asking the state to truly look at this. People are so shocked by this story that a lot of times they're just like a deer in headlights. And Representative West, he has the mirror of my resolution. His own mother died from multiple myeloma. That is a recognized illness from this atomic bomb stuff. We're talking with uh, Representative Tricia Burns here on Show Me Today. She's the sponsor of House Concurrent Resolution 21. It would urge the Missouri Attorney General, Department of Natural Resources, and the Department of Health and Senior Services to conduct an investigation into whether residents can possibly receive monetary compensation from the government. So as uh, we're, we're beginning to wrap things up here, what efforts are being done? to help protect the citizens and 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 what sort of answers could you give them uh, in regards to this and i'm also going to add to this in the event this does not pass for whatever reason what could be done to still help residents of the st louis area we really just need and we keep saying st louis you have to realize this is st louis and St. Charles County, and from what I'm hearing, possibly Kansas City area. 
we have to get the word out. There's people that I've heard who all of a sudden came across some of this information. Their doctor may have found something and said, let's wait a year. In this particular instance, they found Chasing Answers at the group I started in 2018. They went back to their doctor. They told him, hey, this is where I went to high school. That was removed, and that saved that guy's life. They said he would not have been able to um, recover if they would have waited a year before they removed that tumor. So knowledge is huge, too. Just awareness can help save lives as well. Has there been any sort of opposition to this proposed piece of legislation? When I brought this up first in 2018, I've only been here a couple of weeks, right? I I was sworn in in January. But when I brought this up in 2018, every door was getting slammed in my face um, because they would stop it with, where is your health study? And you're asking, my son had cancer and he's, he's fine now. But you're asking moms, you're asking residents to create scientific health studies When the data already exists, and you can look at the atomic bomb workers legislation, right there you know $284 million worth of data exists. The government has it. We just need them to take our voices serious. It's House Concurrent Resolution 21, and you can keep in touch and find updates on that at house.mo.gov. And all you got to do is find the bills, the pre-filed bills, and look HCR21. And this is Show Me Today, the voice of Missouri. If you're talking, they will hear you. Why are we getting killed like this? Kyle's not here. Got caught drinking beer in the park a couple of nights ago. Really? Yeah. Zero tolerance. He's out for the season. Harsh. Hey, he knew not to drink. We've made that clear to all of our kids, right? Uh, no, not really. Bill, if we don't tell them what we expect and why they shouldn't drink, how are they going to know? Talk. They hear you. For more information, visit underagedrinking.samsa.gov. You try the United States Deputy Sheriff's Association is a national nonprofit and the largest non-governmental provider of services to law enforcement. The USDSA assists city, county, state, and federal agencies with free safety equipment donations and officer survival training along with cash donations to families of law enforcement officers who perish in the line of duty, college scholarships for the children of law enforcement, a citizen awareness program, and more. For more information on the USDSA and how you can help, visit usdeputy.org. Hi, it's Tori DeVito. In every family, small conversations can make a big impact. Like when my dad shared his experiences as an alcoholic. Your honesty about that part of your life gave me a sense of integrity that I wanted to uphold in my own life. I wanted you to know from someone who's been in recovery more than 30 years now that hard work is what creates success, not alcohol or other drugs. I said it a lot, and I'm glad you took it to heart. Talk. They hear you. For more information, visit underagedrinking.samsa.gov. Matthew. Huh? Oh, sorry. It's okay. I just need you to listen to me. I know that a lot of times, Mom, it might not seem like I'm listening to you, but I am. I hear you. And what you say really does matter to me. I mean, let's be honest. No kid likes rules, but I get why we have them. I hear you, and I know it's because you care. For more information about talking with your kids about underage use of alcohol and other drugs, visit underagedrinking.samsa.gov. Do you worry about how much someone drinks? Do you feel angry or depressed most of the time? Do you feel neglected or unloved? Do you feel that if the drinker loved you, she or he would stop drinking? If you answered yes to any of these questions, you are not alone. Not everyone trapped by alcohol is an alcoholic. Families and friends are suffering too. Al-Anon and Alateen can help. Call 1-866-200-0223 or visit alanon.org slash help. The United States Deputy Sheriff's Association is a national nonprofit and the largest non-governmental provider of services to law enforcement. The USDSA assists city, county, state, and federal agencies with free safety equipment donations and officer survival training along with cash donations to families of law enforcement officers who perish in the line of duty, college scholarships for the children of law enforcement, a citizen awareness program, and more. For more information on the USDSA and how you can help, visit usdeputy.org. 
You're listening to Show Me Today, the voice of Missouri. I'm Bill Pollack, and our next guest is Dr. Jennifer Ruckstead, the executive director of MISHA. Hiring new people, you've got championships coming up, basketball, a busy time. And I want to follow up. We were talking last week about uh, MISHA's role and how they work with schools, and you were talking about uh, going out and um, sending out questionnaires and, and following up uh, for things that will be on the ballot, for things to discuss this summer. And um, you had mentioned your board of directors uh, and an advisory committee. Yes. Uh, talk a little bit about that and the role that they play, because as we mentioned uh, last week, when we were talking with Jen. You know, Misha just doesn't, you know, overrule everything and say, this is what you're doing. I mean, there's input that comes from the schools and, and their administrators. But you have your board of directors and advisory committee. Um, talk about the role that they play. So our, our board of directors, they are the governing body of the entire association. Uh, as I mentioned, our state is broken into eight board districts. Uh, we have a representative, a board representative from each of those eight districts. And then we have a, two additional board members that are at large. Uh, those members must be part of a minority race or gender. Uh, one at large region covers St. Louis and Kansas City. It's our, it's our urban uh, at large position. And then the other one covers all the other six districts. Uh, so we have at large region two. So we have a board of 10. Uh, those, that board is comprised of superintendents, principals, and athletic directors from uh, one of some from a member school or uh, a district of, uh, that has member schools. So uh, their role is uh, the general governance. Uh, they are my boss. Um, they, uh, they, so they hire and supervise the executive director. Uh, they also are in charge of running um, our championships. Uh, they, they set our playoff system and they direct the staff on how championships should be done. Uh, they uh, they are the approval of our championship venues and and um, they approve our, our our championship balls for our for our uh, association. We just did that uh, at our board meeting in January. We, we re-upped our uh, our ball deals for the next three years. Um, so they have and, and they also help to guide the function of how do we structure the questions that we're asking of the membership in in looking at at any sort of bylaw changes. Uh, and then they also set policy board. There is board policy um, that is uh, that is part of the rules for our association. So that's the role of the board. Um, and then uh, that board uh, has to hear from uh, from not just you know their their school uh, or their counterparts from their particular role, whether they're a superintendent, principal, or athletic director. But we also want to hear from representatives of all of our sports and activities. And so that's where our advisory committees come in. Every one of our sport and activities has an advisory committee made up of coaches and directors uh, who meet once, uh, at least once a year, uh, to basically discuss their sport or activity uh, and uh, look at some of the, the, the rules and the guidelines about how they're running and, and make recommendations to our board of directors on potential changes. Dr. Jennifer Ruckstad is the executive director of MISHA, joining us here on Show Me Today. Well, I don't want to open up Pandora's box, Jen, but um, fans or parents, uh, if they have feedback, how do they do they reach out to these board of directors? Do they go to their schools directly? Uh, how much input do parents and, and fans have in, in the process? The ideal is that they would start with their school uh, for feedback because their school is a member of the association and that school has standing in that membership to, to bring issues to the, uh, to the association. Uh, so it, the, the ideal is a parent or a fan would, would use their school as a conduit. Uh, that doesn't always happen. Uh, we are certainly welcome to listen to parents and fans and, and, and hear their feedback. We do have a process. If they have a, a formal complaint, uh, there's a board policy on how to handle that process, whether they want to do it anonymously or, um, or officially. Um, but we, we do hear back, hear from fans and parents. And we, one of the new things we've, we've resurrected this year is a student advisory committee uh, that's getting ready to, to kick off this spring uh, because we want to also hear student voice uh, about how the association is serving our schools and our students. Um, and I, I believe that in, in future years, we're going to expand that and have a parent advisory as well uh, to give us pers uh, input from that perspective. What would you say are the 
the hottest issues or the hottest topics now from a, a parent standpoint? Somebody listening to us talk right now, what, what do you think are some of the hot button issues for them? Uh, I think uh, mental health is a hot button issue for many parents. Um, and we see that kind of in our appeals process. Um, uh, parents have, have great concerns about the mental health of their, of their children. Um, I think uh, I think parents are also um, if they're if you're if you're not in this boat, it's not a big deal for you. But the, our transfer policies uh, seem to be a real hot button issue for parents as well. Uh, if they're thinking about transferring their student, moving or transferring from school to school for any given reason, so uh, I think those are the two things. And then in any given moment, a parent may be pretty upset about an official's call. Um, and so we sometimes uh, get feedback. Um, we get feedback on a number of different issues, but we, we often get feedback about officials. Yeah. Well, that's got to be a, a tough topic, and I'm sure one that the board and Misha is tackling all the time. Game officials, uh, listen, people are going to make mistakes. I, I don't know. I don't know where we got into this. I don't know if it was because of uh, instant replay uh, with football now in all sports or all of a sudden now they expect officials to be perfect or uh, I'm not sure where that that came from, but it's a human element and there's going to be mistakes and these aren't full time jobs. And, and we've kind of lost that that vision of what these game officials uh, are, are doing and what they're capable of doing, too. Yes, it's a it, it's led to a, a crisis in our in our country uh, when it comes to to high school and, and really youth, all youth athletics. Um, and that's a shortage of officials. Um, and, and the number one reason officials leave uh, the officiating uh, air arena is the, the, the treatment of, from fans. Um, and yeah, they, they are human beings learning and growing and they're probably going to miss some calls. Um, and if you, if you can have a little patience with them, they're going to get better and better and miss fewer calls. Um, but it's, uh, it, there's, there's just really no patience in, in many cases, um, with that, with that fellow human being out there trying to, uh, really ensure that this contest can actually happen. We, we would not, we, we have a bylaw that says you can't play unless there's an official. Um, and if we, we don't have enough of them, and, and it hasn't happened much in our state, but there are states that regularly have uh, games canceled because there are no officials to call. Wow. Yeah, that's tough. Hey, I want to go back just as we wrap up, Jen. Uh, you talked about mental health for, um, for players, athletes being a, a big concern. Does it have more to do with um, just the strain of, of balancing life, school, and practice and all that, or is it more the pressures of the game? I, I think it's uh, I think it's less about the pressures of the game. I think there are certainly student athletes who um, who are have maybe some mental health struggle, struggles because of the competitiveness or the, the pressures of the game. I think for for what we're seeing, it's it's less about that and more about um, just kind of a mental health crisis with for adolescents right now in our country, and really. Um, our our role in that, as far as you know, people who are involved in high school athletics and activities, um, we are we're one of the the, the great uh, treatments uh, for this kind of national epidemic right now. Um, students who are involved in in sports and activities um, generally uh, are have a, a more stable mental health uh, situation, and so. We um, we celebrate that, and um, we want to continue to educate students and families and coaches, and um, that that this is this is good for a uh, for a person's mental health. It is good to be part of a team. It is good to be uh, part of a routine. It is good to exert oneself. Uh, it is good to do hard things. Um, it's good to fail occasionally. It's good to to learn all of those things that that are uh, that happen on a, on a daily basis by participation in athletics and activities um, are are good for the development of a human. Yeah, Dr. Jennifer Ruckstad, Executive Director of Misha, here on Show Me Today, the Voice of Missouri. All the talks we've had over the years, including what you've told me about not using alcohol and other drugs, they stick with me. And believe it or not. 
they really do make a difference, especially at times that matter most. Hey, want a drink? No thanks, I'm good. So thank you, Dad, for talking and preparing me for what's ahead. Thank you for talking. For more information about talking with your kids about underage use of alcohol and other drugs, visit underagedrinking.samhsa.gov. Meet Keith, loving dad, board game champ, bus driving pro. I drive 65,000 miles in my bus each year. If people knew what I know, lives could be saved. Like how there are some things I simply can't see. On my route the other day, a car tried to sneak past me and ends up right in my blind spot. I turned slowly, so accident avoided. But no car should be in the blind spot for a 40,000 pound bus. It's, it's our roads. It's, it's our safety. Visit www.sharetheroadsafely.gov. Hi, Grandma. Can Nina come over for dinner? Sure. I've been meaning to ask you, what would happen if someone offered you a drink? Grandma! If anyone ever does, I want you to say, no, I have too much respect for my family and I don't want to get in trouble. I promise, Grandma. They really do hear you. For tips on what to say, visit underagedrinking.samsa.gov. That's underagedrinking.samhsa.gov. This message brought to you by SAMHSA and this station. Meet Ed, movie buff, animal lover, safe driver. Five years of driving an ambulance teaches you a thing or two. If people knew what I know, lives could be saved. When I see a car trying to rush past a turning bus, I get concerned. You see, when big vehicles turn right, they have to swing wide to make the turn. And that's a lesson you don't want to learn the hard way. When trucks and buses turn, let's you and I wait. It's, it's our roads. It's, it's our safety. safety. Visit www.sharetheroadsafely.gov. Women hear a lot about self-care these days. Advice on ways to relax, exercise, eat healthy, and more. Those are all great. But one of the most important self-care steps we can take is making sure we're financially secure later in life. That means saving money for retirement. It's never too late to start. And it's the kind of self-care that brings peace of mind that lasts. For small steps you can take to save for retirement, visit WeSaySaveIt.org. That's WeSaySaveIt.org. A message from AARP and the Ad Council. Ashiro's work is never done. You care for the house, the kids, and our future. We're so grateful for all you do. Now, it's time to care for yourself and save a little more for retirement. A free three-minute online chat can give you the personalized tips you need to boost your retirement savings now. Visit aceyourretirement.org today. A public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. This is Show Me Today, the voice of Missouri. Thanks to all of our guests, including Misha Executive Director, Dr. Jennifer Ruckstad. They have the classes one, two, and three, final four in Springfield this past weekend. Congratulations on the girls' side, Meadville, Tipton, and Fairgrove. This year's state champions. And on the boys' side, South Iron, Salisbury, and New Madrid Central. The final four for classes four, five, and six taking place this weekend in Springfield. We'll preview the NCAA tournament with, of course, the SEMO Redhawks and the Mizzou Tigers. Plus, we've got Division II teams that are battling for national championships. That's coming up. I'm Bill Pollock. We'll talk to you again Tuesday. Show me today.